The Large Nerdron Collider podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Everybody. Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider, the podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how very excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me, as always, is the super Jonathan Strickland. Ariel, I have a question for you. Considering that we are talking about super stuff, flight or invisibility? Classic question. Um, yeah. So I I had, I think I'm going to have to go with invisibility. I've had dreams all the time where like I'm a kid and I can fly, but it's never like high up in the air. It's always like you start running and then you're just a foot above the ground. Uh, I, I'm kind of afraid of heights and falling. So uh, I I don't think I'd want to fly. However, I do LARP, and invisibility would be hilarious. I would never lose a module. What about you? You'd be peeping in the the locker room. I understand. I got you. I know where you're coming from. Ew. Uh, I go with flight because I'm not a deviant like you. I like the idea of being able to travel (sighs) wherever I want, whenever I want, soaring through the air majestically like some sort of bald pigeon. Yes, Flight for me all the way. I'm not I'm okay. not going to do that whole like like invisible man creepy motif. I'm not going to do a creepy motif. Look, I'm just going to hide in the woods and jump out at people. You're right. That's I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> I take it all back. But listen, flying flying anywhere you want anytime you want is not great because let's say you want to fly to Hawaii. You didn't say that super strength comes with your flight, so you're just going to be carrying that very heavy suitcase with you through the air all the way to Hawaii. You're going to get so much bird poop I'll, on I'll it. have you know, I plan on just buying everything once I get there. <laughs> going to go to first stop in Hawaii, retail outlet mall. Second stop in Hawaii, the beach. Maybe maybe the Poke Shack, because that, that place is the bomb. Okay. Well, we've got we've got that, but uh, and we have news to cover. But before we get to any of that, Ariel, I've got some fast breaking news. Here's the breaking news. It's super important. George Clooney has signed on to become an executive producer and star of a TV series, Buck Rogers. Okay. Oh, that's yeah. great. What what details do we have on that? George Clooney has signed on to be an executive <laughs> producer and star of of a new Buck Rogers TV show. That's all I got. I guess it wasn't. Uh, I guess well, it wasn't that st- important. No, I mean it's something to possibly look forward to. So that you know, in a couple of months when we get details about it, you go, "Oh yeah, I remember that. I like Buck Rogers." Did so, you ever watch the uh, uh, the the TV series, the the campy like nineteen seventies era? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I watched that, too. And uh, whenever I think about that, I think of Mel Blanc doing the voice of Twiggy, mm-hmm. the little robot. Bitty, bitty, bitty. Uh, so I'm not sure it's going to be the same, especially since I'm pretty sure they're going to go back to the original uh, reference material, which doesn't have a spunky little sidekick robot. But, yeah, I saw that news and thought, well, we should include this because, you know, it's it's nostalgic for for me and you and all the young listeners yeah. out there are like, what? 
Buck who? That You know what? It's okay because the next news item we have is for young listeners, uh, which is that the Guinness Book of World Records is trying to do, uh, like, make set a record of the most people singing uh, a song from The Greatest Showman ever. So Yeah, the, the idea being uh, that it's, song, it's, a, it's a big collaborative effort, right? That you're going to have the most people singing and they're mm-hmm. going to create a collaborative video of all these different people singing a particular song from The Greatest Showman, which is... From now on... Uh, they are trying to get at least 5,000 participants. Uh, it is a benefit for the Actors Fund, which, if you are not familiar, is is uh, a financial fund for the Broadway actors who really need it right yeah. now, since Broadway is still closed a year later. And, and probably will be for most of 2021. Unfortunately, I want to go see my shows, John. I had tickets, Ariel. I know, me too. But as of listening... To this episode, you can still be a part. They want you to record the video and challenge four friends using the hashtag BeWayWorldRecord and share it on social media. They also say that you can tag Broadway stars and challenge them. You know that Hugh Jackman's going to be part of this. Yeah, they've already got some actors committed. They've got Alice Ripley from Next to Normal, John Tartaglia from Avenue Q, Kristen Anderson Lopez from Frozen, and Jay Armstrong Johnson from Family of the Opera. Uh, And you can be a part of this up until February 28th, which is the deadline. Yeah, I think think I'll give this one a skip because my singing voice isn't strong enough. And also, uh, I'm I'm at best a casual fan of The Greatest Showman at best. I, I was about to say, like, they don't say anything about having to sing it well. <laughs> so well, that's just an excuse. But I do understand Greatest Showman's Yeah, okay. I'm not a huge fan of it. You know what? Okay. I would have, I actually would have enjoyed it a lot more if they had not said it was supposed to be P.T. Barnum because I had mm. real issues with the the lionization of P.T. Barnum, who was a much more complicated person than the musical would have you understand. Ooh. But yeah. that's, that's, yeah, but I don't want to yuck anyone's yum either. I know a lot of people really love The Greatest Showman and there's nothing wrong with loving it. I mean, that's, that's, you do you. Uh, for me, there was one mm-hmm. song in that show that I really loved and another song that I liked, but, um, but that was it. Everything else. And neither neither are, of them are from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, it is interesting to say they've gotten permission from Disney to do this. Yes, so. yes. Uh, this is this is something yeah. that's got full clearance. It to me, it's again another remarkable example of Disney giving the go ahead for some creative uh, uses of their properties, which, as we've pointed out in previous episodes, is is remarkable considering how protective Disney has been of its IP in the past. Mm-hmm. Also weird, but delightful, was the latest trailer for Rhea and the Last Dragon. I really, you know what? I hadn't seen anything. I knew about this movie. I knew it was coming out, but I hadn't seen any trailers. I hadn't watched anything of it until we were making this episode. And uh, and the trailer is, first of all, the style looks amazing. Uh, they made Rhea look like a total... Um, kick butt warrior. I was trying to think of a good family friendly way of yes. saying it. She looks amazing in it. 
the antagonist is, at least from what I can gather from the trailer, also a woman. And then the dragon is a, a female dragon. So we've got a film where multiple characters, important characters to the story, are all women, which I also thought was awesome. It's not, no one draws attention to it in the trailer, but I noticed it just because it's something that we haven't seen a lot of until fairly recently. And I like that that trend is continuing. I do too. I, I also really like that. Um, I like that the character is such a, a kick butt uh, character, like you said. Um, there, it's it almost feels like Disney wanted their take on the Avatar: The Last Airbender to me. Yeah, I was getting a lot of that. I was getting a little bit of Mulan vibes. Um, there were a couple mm-hmm. of other like properties I would think of. Uh, uh, even a uh, Kubo and the Two Strings. Um, There's a little bit of that in there. There, there's there's definitely some stuff you can tell where some influences came in. Um, the attitude of the dragon feels like a very much a nod to sort of Wushu and, and Mulan. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's Aquafina and you got to love it's, her. It, it's, a, it's a good trailer and the action looks like it's going to be really, really interesting. Uh, I am eager to see this. I, it, you know, it's interesting because it doesn't, it doesn't look like the kind of typical feel good sort of Disney stuff. Like it doesn't seem all, all warm and fuzzy and squishy. It seems a little more action oriented, um, which is great too. I think that looks really interesting. I think I haven't been as excited for a Disney computer animated movie as this since Wreck-It Ralph, which I know that you don't feel the same way about that movie as I do, Jonathan. Uh, For for me, I think uh, I'd have to go with, if we're not talking Pixar, if we're just talking about Disney proper, uh, Big Hero 6. Yeah, I could see that as well. Uh, which has a, a very similar kind of action-y vibe to it. This will be available on Disney Plus. For, for premium. Um, on their premier, for yeah. premium on March 5th, which means eventually you'll get it on your regular subscription. But I might honestly pay no, for it. No, I think I'm going to pay for it too because I really want to mm-hmm. see it. And I don't want, I want that that experience of discovery and not have everything kind of mm-hmm. laid out for me before I get a chance to see it. Because the, the discovery part. Yeah. You know, I'm sure we can talk about this in a longer section at some future episode, but the discovery part of a new property is one of the great joys for me. Like I can handle going in, hearing spoilers, but I really love that that experience of discovering something as it's playing out. Um, You just can't really you can't replicate that if you already know what's happening before you go and see it. It's different. You can still enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with it, but it is different. Mm. I agree. I agree. Uh, something on Disney Plus that you, I don't think you're going to have to pay premium for is the Black Panther show that's in development. Or at least a Wakanda show. It's a show set in Wakanda. What, what, whether or not it's it, with the Black Panther right. director. Whether or not it involves uh, a Black Panther character uh, played by Shuri, you would imagine. Uh, we don't know. It may be that it may not even be mm-hmm. set in the quote unquote, modern day of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's no real telling, but we know that the director of Black Panther is going to be behind the development of the show and that it is set in Wakanda and bring it on. I, I, I am eager to see more of that world. Yeah. Yeah. It was such, such great creation. And we only got a small part of it in the first Black Panther movie. So, and, and, and a little bit in infinity war. 
a little bit, not near enough. No. Not near enough. You can tell that there's a whole bunch of richness, richness in that world that we didn't get to see. Uh, mm-hmm. Something <laughs> I did get to see this week uh, is... Yeah, this, this was something Ariel shared with me that I had not seen. And I'm so thankful that I have a co-host like Ariel to bring this into my life. <laughs> yeah, is uh, some fans took the Jurassic Park trailer and mashed it up with Pee Wee Herman, making all of the dinosaurs Pee Wee Herman. When you hear that concept, you say, oh, I know what this is going to look like. But no, it's way better no. than what you imagine in your brain. <laughs> for, for one thing, they resisted the urge of making a dinosaur-sized Pee Wee Herman. Mm-hmm. It's a Pee Wee Herman size Pee Wee Herman. And the the integration of Pee Wee Herman shots into Jurassic Park scenes is done pretty darn well. Like there are bits where you are looking at a Jurassic Park character and Pee Wee Herman is popping up from behind a tree. And, it, you know, you can tell there was some compositing done, but it looks really good <laughs> for for yeah. a for a joke. Yeah, and there's only one time where they skip to, like, a not Jurassic Park scene, and it's brief. Yes. I think. Yeah. Yeah, where yeah. where it's him over at, on the corner of a house, and he's just doing his little Pee Wee Herman laugh. Everything else is essentially Jurassic Park with some Pee Wee Herman integrated into it, including the infamous sequence where the T-Rex is chasing the Jeep, and it's the must-go-faster, must-go-faster and I don't yeah. want to say any more than that, other than you need to see it to yeah. really appreciate it. But we'll put that link in our show notes on our website uh, when this episode goes live so that you can watch it too. We just wanted to give it a shout out since we love mashups. We had to love on this mashup. Yes. And that wraps up our quick headlines for this week. When we come back, we are going to have a deep discussion uh, about the DC cinematic universe and what we would do if we were put in charge of it in order to kind of fix it. Seems like it's really presumptuous, but I'm going to say fix it. And then also <laughs> stick around because at the end of this episode with our mashup, we are, we have chosen a mashup topic that is in part a tribute to the late great Cloris Leachman, a, a phenomenal comic actor who we lost uh, just recently. And so you'll want to stick around for that too. But first we got to take this quick break. And we're back. Uh, thanks for coming back with us. So we're going to talk about the DCEU and Jonathan, I'm taking it by uh, you saying that it needed to be fixed before the break, that you are not a fan of how it is currently being laid out. Uh, I am not, Ariel. Thank you for asking me about this. Uh, I No, I, I, I've made it pretty clear. Anyone who listened to old episodes of Large Nerdron Collider, the, the classic ones from like mm-hmm. 2016, 2017, you know that even back then I was complaining about the way DC was going about their cinematic universe. That that uh that dead horse is still continuing to be beaten by yours truly because I don't think it's necessarily gotten much better. Uh, I have multiple problems with it. Problem one is that the whole Zack Snyder take on making everything dark and grim doesn't sit too well with me, largely because... 
like, I think there should be some dark and grimness in there. I think there need to be stakes. Like, without stakes, there's no conflict. And without conflict, there's no drama. But I feel like heroes need to occasionally be, I don't know, heroic? Heroic, yeah. Yeah. And inspiring and that sort of thing. Which is why Wonder Woman, the original Wonder Woman film uh, from this, this latest batch, is still... I think my favorite of all the ones that have come out so far with the possible exception of Shazam, which feels almost tangential, but it was Um, also pretty dark. It was pretty dark, but it had more lighthearted moments than any of the other DC films. And then the other part kind of ties into that tangential thing, which is that there is no coherent or cohesive strategy, right? Like there are so many different DC properties and there are disagreements about which ones actually fit into the mainline DC universe versus being some sort of offshoot like Joker, the movie Joker, which a lot of people loved is not part of the mainstream DC cinematic universe. There was talk of another Jared Leto, uh, Joker movie, which never, as far as I know is not happening, but that also wasn't going to be part of the mainstream DC mm-hmm. universe. And you start to wonder, well, why are you bothering crafting these? I mean, I understand the appeal of having heroes from different, uh, different franchises or different lines cross over. There's always like, it's that dream. Oh yeah. It's Batman and Superman. Like I get mm-hmm. it. That's a big deal in the comics. It's a big deal in the movies, but if you're not going to craft a really strong, coherent universe, then it almost seems like you should really just be developing one shot films that are good stories featuring these characters, but there's no necessary connective tissue to everything else. I, I agree. So, I mean, DC to the dark thing, DC is not a stranger to dark storylines in the comics. Uh, But I do feel like you need to, you need to set up the hero in that story as the hero, like you said, before you can enjoy that journey down down a, a path that they maybe shouldn't go, you're more invested then. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, the continuity is hard. I feel like they they tried so hard to catch up with Marvel, but by that time they already had a bunch of TV shows out, and they already had all of these one off movies. We've had so many Batman series um, that it, it was almost like an afterthought. I I do feel like they. Up until the Snyder Cut, I feel like they had been slowly edging away from everything being super dark, even through this latest Wonder Woman movie. Um, But I still feel like trying to add that levity to what little through line there is, it just makes the stories extra long and extra convoluted. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's there's no efficiency in storytelling in the DC Mm -hmm. Cinematic Universe. Everything is a little too bloated and... uh, I mean, when when there are important plot points that hinge on such silly things, like the fact that two characters have mother figures who were named Martha, and somehow <laughs> that's what brings them together. I mean, I get it. Like that's been that's been memed to death, right? But mm-hmm. it's still ridiculous. It's why it's been memed to death. It is a ridiculous point in a film, and uh, you know there there are just so many decisions that I disagreed with especially in those early Snyder films, like without, as you say, without making the hero heroic, you have no one to cheer for. You're, 
it's like they decided they wanted to skip straight to the Frank Miller version of old Batman mm-hmm. and show him as, you know, someone who is who is still plodding along, but is very cynical and very um, uh, pessimistic about things and um, pragmatic in a way that's extremely dark. And they didn't want to get to any of the stuff that led him to that journey. They just wanted to jump to that. Same with um, with the fact that they didn't go through the same setup that Marvel did when it began to establish all these individual characters and then the connection they had with one another mm-hmm. to lead into the Avengers titles. And, you know, we didn't even get into the Thanos storyline until we were probably about halfway through those initial Marvel films. Yeah. It was only in the back half that the Thanos storyline really started to play out. And to the point where some people were even asking, like, why should we care about Thanos? And then Infinity War happened and everyone suddenly really cared about Thanos. But it just showed that they they did a very long lead up to that. Whereas DC was almost like, dump all the toys out on the floor. Okay, now they're all together. Let's make them do stuff. But they didn't build any of that individually. Like I said, I, I feel like it really was them playing a game of catch up to try to to try to get to Marvel's success level before people were burnt out on superheroes, which has come and gone uh, since the MCU has begun. Um, I, I I feel like when they said, "Okay, now anybody can make any movie about any DC character, DC comic character," um, that it was their attempt to try to salvage the fandom without having to continue like basically trying out alternate timelines to see if any of those stick better than their current prime timeline so then they can just switch over to that i mean like clearly the harley quinn movie is an example of that right mm-hmm. where the the harley quinn film they saw how people responded to the character of Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad, even though that movie is its own garbage fire. Um, the first, and, the first one, because I think the next one's going to be really good. Well, until it comes out, I'm not going to hold my breath. Right. So Fair. <laughs> they have to prove me wrong. Okay. I don't, I, I, I feel pretty comfortable saying the first film is a garbage fire. Uh, the, but that that led to the ability for the Harley, Harley Quinn film to come out. And I think people responded more toward that, mm-hmm. which just showed that there are... And Joker, again, Joker is another movie that did phenomenally well. Um, I'll spare you my thoughts on Joker, but <laughs> it did really well. And again, is not connected to the rest of the, the threads in the DC universe. Mm-hmm. So... It, it it's a complicated issue. Like if it were me, I'd almost say like, all right, we're going to have to start with a, a fresh slate. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the casting I might keep because I think that some of the folks who are in their roles are good for those roles, yeah. but like, we're just going to do what the comic books do occasionally, which is that you do a big reset. <laughs> it happens in comics all the time where yeah. you have some sort of cataclysmic event that destroys every reality so that it could start fresh and then you start screwing it up all over again. But at least you can start fresh. Well, and I thought that's what they were doing with the James Gunn Suicide Squad that's coming out because it's just, it's it's not a second movie. It's just another Suicide Squad movie. But then they talked, but 
and you know James Gunn did great with Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. and the cast for this new movie is pretty spectacular. Um, they all, all of the actors ride a good line between action and intense and comedy. But then they did carry over some of the characters like Harley Quinn and uh, Boomerang and things like that. So it's not quite as much of a reboot as I initially thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, so if you were trying to fix this, mm-hmm. like my my argument is to scrap it all and start over. Um, but do you think it's something that you could see as being salvageable, like keeping everything that exists now and just building further upon it? Yes, yes. And my reasoning for that is, I've said since the beginning, and if you're a longtime LNC listener, you'll know this, that I feel like the real problem with the Justice League is how dark it is. I feel like they've been going lighter and lighter and lighter. Uh, Justice League, much like the newer Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies, the storyline was not strong, but they got the characters right. Um, even at the end, Superman got to be Superman and that was nice, but I enjoyed watching all the characters and I enjoyed watching their chemistry. So all we'd need to do is have happy Superman fly around the world, reverse (laughs) time, and then we can continue on with the Justice League because that movie did the poorest. And to me, it was one of the most, one of the more enjoyable ones um, maybe not from quite a as character much as, standpoint from a character standpoint, maybe not as quite as enjoyable as Wonder Woman or Aquaman, which were, I both, I found both of them fun, but far too long. Um, and mainly because the justice league villain was pretty milk toasty, but, um, well now you're going to get dark side in the Snyder cut. So yeah, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's exactly how I feel Ariel. So don't, don't feel badly about it. I mean, See, but I, I, I watched I, them. Maybe not the Snyder Cut, but more movies. I appreciate what you say. Like, I, I I don't deny that, you know, you could continue. Obviously, they're going to continue to build on the foundation they have laid. I think the reason, the real reason, if you really boil it down, that I want to scrap it all and start over is fundamentally, I despise the fact that the Kents were trying to tell Clark to be selfish and to mm-hmm. to value self-preservation over helping others because to me that is fundamentally the opposite of what most versions of superman's origin story point to like the whole idea being that this is an alien who decides that he wants to protect humans because he was raised by genuinely decent people and when you take that away it just like to me, it's like, well, you just ruined everything. You just, yeah. you, you've soured the whole thing. And yeah, you can get them to come around and, and choose to be noble, but that's a different character arc. Art, yeah. It's not, it's not invalid. It just to me, isn't Superman. I, I mean, I get it. I get it. You know, I enjoyed Man of Steel, which is, is the movie that started that whole path you don't like of Superman, but while I thought it was an entertaining movie, I did not think it was a great Superman movie. It wasn't it. It wasn't a great Superman movie to start off the DCEU with. Yeah. But at the time, I well, didn't know there was going to be a DCEU. So I yeah, I just uh, to me, it was like it was it started with a wrong turn and then it got more wronger. Fair enough. But hey, you know what? 
we also admit like that's down to our personal tastes. There may be many of you out there who absolutely love the DC cinematic universe, which, Mm -hmm. you know, that's totally valid too. Like your opinions are just as valid as ours. Yeah. And you know, I, like you said, I've seen the DCEU movies and I will continue to see them. And you know, Marvel has had to scrap some of their properties or has tried to scrap some of their properties multiple times to relaunch them. X-Men, Fantastic Four, things like that. So it's not just a parent property uh, specific. Yeah, no, I mean, also Marvel has has caught some flack for not integrating some of their Netflix TV series into Mm -hmm. the overall Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like that direction only goes one way where the stuff that happened in the movies gets referenced in the shows, but the shows never get to carry over into the movies until now, which is unfortunate because Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Luke Cage are all awesome. And Iron Fist is also there. Yeah, but we think that Daredevil is going to be in the new Spider-Man. So that's, that's what we're hoping. So maybe all the rest will follow suit. We'll see if it works, then they might continue it. Yeah. But, you know, this was our our DC conversation. If we want to talk Marvel, we're going to have to wait till after the break with our mashup. Okay, Ariel, you picked the two properties that we're going to mash up. And initially, I resisted this, but um, uh, eventually came around when I thought of a joke so bad that I had to do a mashup. But let's explain what two properties you picked. Okay, so we picked the Fantastic Four, mainly because of some conversations happening around WandaVision that we're not going to get into because spoilers. Uh, And... We also picked Young Frankenstein. So let's talk a little bit about these properties, because at least in my mashup, I have some, let's call them deep cuts that I reference that I think are going to be lost on probably 90% of our audience. Sure. But the basic story is that there's this gentleman, Gene Wilder, who uh, is uh, Dr. Franken Frankenstein. Uh, because he, he doesn't want to be confused with the crazy Dr. Frankenstein, um, who finds out he's got a like a familial house that he's he's earned when his great great grandfather passed away, um, and he goes there, and then he becomes the mad scientist and eventually accepts his name Frankenstein. But there's a huge amount of comedy. You've got uh, Igor who. Uh, is a play on Igor. You've got uh, Frau Bluchart, who is uh, the character that Cloris Leachman played, who every time they say her na- name, no matter where she is, a horse whinnies because it sounds familiar to the German word for glue, um, which is never explained in the movie, but it just happens. No. It's a running gag that they never explain, and I love it. And it's just such a a lighthearted, fun play on on, on a really great but kind of dark story, Frankenstein. Um, that is just brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic Four. Okay, so in case you aren't aware of who the Fantastic Four are, it's a heroic group of four characters. Uh, there have been different members of the Fantastic Four over the years, but the classic four are uh, Reed Richards, who is Mr. Fantastic. He can stretch his limbs and get all bendy bendy. There's uh, uh, Sue Storm, later Sue Richards, who is the invisible, first the invisible girl, but she manages to 
screw the patriarchy and become the invisible woman. <laughs> uh, yeah, that comics were not the most woke back in the day. Uh, you have Johnny Storm, Sue's brother, who is the human torch. And you have Ben Grimm, who becomes the thing, a big rocky orange uh, Hulk-like guy. And uh, they, they end up being irradiated. There's different versions of their origin story, but that's how they all get their powers. So they didn't start off with powers. They get them because they're exposed to radiation. They typically uh, are facing off against pretty weird and cosmic kind of, of uh, bad guys and problems. But they also have a enemy in Dr. Doom. Dr. Doom is frequently their antagonist. And for my story, one important thing you need to know is that at least in one version of the Marvel timeline, Reed Richards and Sue Richards have a son named Franklin Richards who has like reality bending powers. Uh, That's going to be important in my story. Uh, There's also other references that longtime Marvel fans are going to get and nobody else. So just a warning. Yeah. Kind of, kind of the same with mine. Um, I, I actually, I was on the opposite end. I was very excited about this at the beginning. And as I was writing my mashup, I quickly went, Oh, this is, I, (laughs) I cannot meet Mel Brooks genius. But, yeah, no, th- this was a challenging one, I will admit. But once I came up with the terrible punchline, everything else was just like, how long can I delay getting to the punchline? It's it's a tribute. It's a tribute uh, to something we love and a great actress. So uh, I apologize. And here we go with the fantastic Frau Blueheart Nay. Okay, so... Dr. Reed Richards, pronounced Richards, is speaking at a symposium at Hedgeman University one day when a mysterious figure enters and tells him he has acquired his family's estate in Latveria. While he doesn't like to be associated with his family legacy of mad science, Reed leaves his then-fiancée, Alicia Masters, to see what the ordeal is about. Upon reaching the estate in Latveria, Richards meets a beautiful blonde named Susan and her brother who introduces himself as Johnny. See, he thinks he's being clever, uh, picking on Richards' pronunciation of his name, but really he's just being kind of annoying. These two are the Storm siblings who were the assistants of the previous inhabitant, Nathaniel Richards. Reed is so enamored by Susan that he doesn't even notice as the caretaker of the estate, Frau Evelyn Blucher, steps up behind him and offers to show him to his room. Uh, When he turns back to invite Susan to dinner, she's gone. Uh, Foreshadowing. That evening, as Richards explores the estate, he happens upon a staircase leading to the basement, whereupon he finds the Storm's siblings standing over a corpse in a lab as Frau Evelyn Blucher is about to put a brain into the corpse. Oh, yeah, there's also a lab horse. Every respectable Latvian lab has one. Uh, The name on the jar holding the brain is A. Ben Normal. Uh... Reshores a surprise and yells out Frau Blucher's name, which startles a horse who kicks the reanimation machine, showering all of the inhabitants in the room with radiation as Frau places a brain in the corpse. All of a sudden, the corpse is alive, but he is melted with the stone slab he was laying on to gain a stone skin. Susan is gone, but Reshores can hear her yelling, and John I accidentally ignites, scaring the grim monster thing away. Reshores reaches for the door, realizing he doesn't need to move his feet to do so, but his stretchy arm reaches the door too late. Only Frau Blucher is not affected by the radiation, having assisted her loved, beloved Nathaniel for so many years that she had become immune to it. 
Uh, all the to-do incites the local authority, Inspector Von Doom, a man with one good eye, a metal mask, and a metal arm, to come question Reshords. However, all Reshords can make out about what Inspector Doom is saying is that uh, there's a monster, and if he finds him, he will end him. You see, his mask is muffling too much of the other words he's saying <laughs> for Reshords to even understand it. Uh, now the three in Frau must find this thing. Thankfully, Aben Normal was actually the love child of Nathaniel and Frau Evelyn Bluchert, and she knows just how to find him with his childhood love of pizza. There's only one pizza joint in Latveria, and tonight is open mic night. When they get there, they find the grim thing doing stand-up and enjoying a slice. They know they must protect him being so unique and clever, so they bring him back to the estate, just as Reed's fiance Alicia shows up. She sees the thing, but instead of being frightened, falls in love with him, which is okay because Reshores has kind of actually got a thing for Susan. And as we pan out from the, the estate, we see John I. Storm hiding worriedly behind a horse as Frau Evelyn Blucher searches him for him longingly because she's also a bit of a pyromaniac. I like that there seem to be some references to the, the, uh, the, the original Fantastic Four film by that Roger Corman produced that was never released. <laughs> Specifically for you, Jonathan. Because you can't understand Doom in that version. No. Uh, all right, well, here, here's mine. Um, the title will become uh, into it later. Okay. We open in the Baxter building as the Fantastic Four's headquarters. The Fantastic Four are an established team at this point, having had many adventures under their collective belts. Reed and Sue Richards are the proud parents of a young boy named Franklin who has impressive powers of his own. Our heroes receive a distress call. They must immediately head off to Latveria to battle the nefarious <laughs> Dr. Doom. Little Franklin is left behind in the care of others. The next morning, his caretakers are glued to the television, watching reports that Doom, the Fantastic Four, and indeed all of Latveria have disappeared. The scene dissolves and we see a title card saying, 25 years later. Franklin is an adult now, giving a lecture at a prestigious university. He's an expert in linguistics and history, and is clearly attempting to suppress his past and his own superpowers. While giving the lecture, one determined student keeps asking Franklin about his famous parents, Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman, and his famous uncle, the Human Torch, and also that big rocky dude known as The Thing. <laughs> Franklin attempts to dismiss the questions with humor, but the student persists, and in a moment of temper, Franklin uses his reality-bending superpowers to turn the student into a jack-in-the-box. Class, dismissed, he says. After his lecture, an old man who had been sitting in on the lecture comes forward, revealing himself to be a messenger from Latveria. He explains that, without any warning, the entire nation that had disappeared is back. Much of it is in ruins, but not all of it and that Franklin in particular is urged to go there to claim his birthright, though the old man doesn't have much information about what exactly that is. Franklin, overcome with anxiety, makes arrangements to travel to Latveria right away, arriving by train. At the station, he is greeted by the humanoid experimental robot B-type integrated electronics, or Herbie, though <laughs> it's pronounced Herby, according to the robot. <laughs> Herby and Franklin travel to an old abandoned castle, used to be Dr. Doom's lair, but now it's practically unoccupied as Doom and the Fantastic Four have not reappeared. Along the way, Franklin and Herby encounter a young woman named Inga Summers, who was given instructions to help assist Franklin in any way. 
Oh, and I mentioned that Doom's castle was practically unoccupied, but no, there is one person there, Frau Blucher, who is secretly <laughs> Cynthia Von Doom, Dr. Doom's mother, played by Cloris Leachman, of course. At the castle, Franklin spends time exploring, attempting to find any signs of what happened to the Fantastic Four. Blucher tries to embrace him to uh, encourage him to embrace his superpowers, but Franklin resists, unwilling to acknowledge that this is, in fact, his birthright. What follows is an adventure in which Franklin tries to make his own robot without the use of his superpowers. He builds a robotic human torch, which just goes around insisting that no, he's the real original human torch, and Johnny Storm was the second human torch. You just gotta buy the comics to find out that the original human torch was a robot, but Franklin points out that if you are a robot, you aren't a human torch, you're a robot torch, and that goes poorly. Next thing you know, the robot human torch is rampaging through the countryside. Franklin and team have to lure the robot back, insisting that it's not evil, it's just misdirected. Franklin is able to coax the robotic human torch back to the castle with promises of a special Oktoberfest celebration, knowing that the robot is particularly fond of oompa bands. And so Franklin, Inga Summers, and Herbie play polka, luring the human torch robot back to the castle. In the process, the robot discovers a hidden compartment in the castle, and in it is a special German beer mug. Emblazoned on it are the Fantastic Four, and on the bottom of the mug it's a message to Franklin with love from mom and dad. And then it happens. We finally smash cut to the title of the movie, Young Franklin Stein. Cut to end credits. post credit scene. I guess the Fantastic Four and Doom show up or something. I don't know. <laughs> I... Uh, you Jonathan. saw where it was going. <laughs> I did, and I, I'm, I'm, I don't know whether to say thank you or I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> Young Franklin Stein. Yeah, yeah, we got it. <laughs> we got it. Because it's a German beer mug, you see. Yeah, and his name's yeah. Franklin. Okay. Okay, so if any of you think you've got a better way to mash up the Fantastic Four and Young Frankenstein better than Franklin Stein or the Fantastic Frau, please reach out to us and tell us. We would love to hear your mashup ideas. And if we like them, we might even read them on the air. Yeah. And uh, and, and the Human Torch really was originally a robot. Okay, anyway. Wait, wait, you no, wait. Would, would a Human Torch just, like, Robot Torch just be like a lighter? Like a you sexy would think lighter? So. You, would, you would think so. But yeah, you know, the Human Torch was one of the original uh, heroes that Marvel inherited uh, along with Captain America. But no, that's a story for a different time. If you guys want to reach out to us, the best way to do so is, well, you can do it through email. The email address for the show is lnc at iheartmedia.com. You can do it over on Twitter where we are lnc underscore podcast or on Facebook or Instagram where we're Large Nerdron Collider. We also have our website, largenerdroncollider.com. That has our show notes as well as every episode including the really old ones. So if you want to go back and listen to geek news from 2017, you can. And am I forgetting anything? Oh, if you like this show, tell people about it. Give us a review. Let let your friends know about it because our community only gets better as it grows. Yes, we really enjoy the conversations we've been having with you already. We've gotten your suggestions for mashups and we're thinking on them and brainstorming on them. Uh, when you tell your friends, and even for you, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our future episodes. And until next time, 
Uh, he has been uh, Johnny <laughs> the Storm Strickland. And until next time, she has been Frau Blucher. <laughs> The Large Nerdron Collider is a production of iHeartRadio and was created by Ariel Kasten. Jonathan Strickland is the executive producer. The show is produced, edited, and published by Tari Harrison. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.